Holy Spirit, there is not, nothing in this sermon, there is no, or no words, there's no wisdom in this sermon that is sufficient to set us free from the things that hold us in bondage, but your Spirit, your Spirit can do it. So Jesus, be here, move in our hearts, move in our minds as we reflect on your word to set us free. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online or in the community center. It's great to have you with us. We are talking this fall about the Ten Commandments and how God gave them to the Israelites after he got them out of slavery, which means what they're really about is ten ways that we can stay free, ten ways that we can thrive. And today we come to the sixth commandment, do not murder, which most of us probably feel pretty good about, right? Like, haven't murdered anybody lately, you know, thought about it, but haven't done it. Someone said to me last week, so the fifth command is about parents, and the seventh command is about faithfulness and marriage, and in between is the sixth on murder. Hmm. <laughs> What's that about? But here's the thing about the Ten Commandments. I said this last week. They're like the tip of the iceberg. There's a whole lot more underneath than just the commandment. And in the New Testament, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' commentary on the Ten Commandments, Jesus elaborates what this command is really about. And in it, Jesus says this, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder. But I tell you, anyone who's angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the Sanhedrin. So stop saying Raka, guys. That's just, cut it out, all right? And anyone who says, You fool, like when the lady in front of you at QFC waits until all her items are rung up and only then begins her extensive search for the checkbook in her purse. <laughs> or when you're driving down Bellevue Way and someone's going 15 miles an hour and you say, you fool, it's all there in the Greek, it's just very subtle. <laughs> we'll be in danger of the fire of hell. Whoa, Jesus, that won't get people coming to church. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to that person, then come and offer your gift. In other words, Jesus says what this command is really about is not just murder. Yeah, sure, that too. But it's really about how we handle our anger. Now, I want to be clear. Anger is not a sin. It is just an emotion. It's neutral. But how we deal with it matters. Several years ago, I was flying to the East Coast to speak at a conference out there, and the, the flight was wildly delayed. And they'd say things like, we'll leave in 30 minutes, but then 30 minutes later, they'd say 30 more minutes, right? They did that thing. This went on for three hours. By then, I'd missed my connecting flight, which meant I'd have to catch a red eye, get to the conference, immediately give my first talk, all with no sleep. Everyone around me was complaining, so I just joined in. Why not, right? <laughs> and at one point, I went to get something out of my carry-on, and yet everything spilled out, and I got really frustrated, so I started cramming things back in kind of real aggressively. At one point, I even hit it and started saying words I don't normally say, like gosh and darn and fiddlesticks. <laughs> And then I looked up, and there was this airline guy looking at me. And he said, are you okay, sir? And I said, no, I'm not, not at all. And then he asked my destination, and I told him, and he said, why are you going there? And I said, well, for work. And he said, what do you do? 
I'm a pastor. <laughs> he goes, really, what church? And I said, that Lutheran one down the street. <laughs> I didn't say that. That would have broken the ninth commandment. <laughs> Anger is not a sin. But how we handle it matters. Hint, not like I did. And not all anger is bad either. There is such a thing as righteous anger. Jesus got angry, but his anger always sought to defend the defenseless. Right? That's righteous anger. And let's be honest, most of our anger is not that. Now, the Greek word that Jesus uses for anger in this passage is the word from which we get the word orgy, English word orgy. And it means to have an orgy of anger, to hang on to it, to nurse a grudge. And the question Jesus asks is, will we hang on to our anger or will we use its energy to propel us to do something constructive with it? Because if we hang on to it, it does all kinds of damage. For one thing, it negates the other person. Jesus says, you know, he uses this funny word, don't say raka to people. Well, what that means, raka means you're nothing. It's a form of wiping out someone's personhood. It's pushing them aside to get what we want, which is why he compares it to murder. But more than that, when we carry a grudge, who do we hurt the most? Ourselves, right? We end up full of rage and bitterness and just yuck and it's not a good feeling, which is why Jesus says if you do it, you're going to feel the fires of hell, not somewhere else, right here on this earth. As you've heard me say many times, holding a grudge is like taking poison, hoping your enemy is going to die. That's why Jesus says, don't do it. It just hurts you. He also says, don't do the other thing that we sometimes do with anger, which is just to kind of bury it, you know, and get indifferent to that person we're mad at. And that's still destructive because it numbs our heart. Pretty soon we don't feel anything. Plus, the anger is still there way deep down and comes out in weird places like airports. And all of that is bondage. But the Ten Commandments are about freedom and getting free. And Jesus gives us some ways out of the anger trap so that instead we can have hope and life and joy and just plain old feel better. Three things I want to focus on. The first is this, seek reconciliation. Now, I have been here eight years, and I have given one sermon per year on reconciliation, whether you needed it or not, right? So after eight sermons, I don't even need to mention this, right? Because y'all are doing it perfectly, right? Maybe not so much, huh? I mean, I'm not, and I wrote those eight sermons, so maybe a refresher. Because of all the Ten Commandments, this one and the fourth are the ones we break the most. The fourth commandment on Sabbath, we even brag about breaking that one, right? Oh, I worked so hard. And then this one, we have all kinds of reasons to stay angry. You know, I have had people look me in the eye many times and say, Pastor, I know what it says about reconciliation in the Bible, but not in my case. I'm not going to do it because, you know, this person really hurt me and God is a God of justice and he would want me to punish the person because he would want justice, right? Here's the thing. Jesus did not say be reconciled, unless, of course, you're mad, then never mind. He didn't say that. And I know some of you have been badly hurt by other people. I get that. I have had some, you know, I think we all have, some wounds that are pretty deep from others. I get that. But Jesus says for our own good, be reconciled so that we can be free. Now, that doesn't mean we open ourselves up for further abuse Nor does it mean that others should not be held accountable for what they do wrong. They should. It's just maybe we're not the ones to do it. 
God working through other people will take care of that. But that said, Jesus places such a priority on reconciliation that he says if you're at the altar, in other words, even if you're in church and you recognize that you're not reconciled to someone, we'll leave church immediately and go get reconciled. That's how important it is. So let's stand for the benediction. (laughs) Right? Because I think we all probably got someone, right? Why don't you just think of that person right now and then listen. As a preacher, I I often take comfort in this verse because often when I preach, someone gets up and leaves for some reason. And, you know, it can be very distracting. Was I that boring? Is it that bad? Now I just say, they're following Jesus. It's all right. They're obeying Jesus. Now, in past sermons, I have given you an acronym for how to reconcile. Anybody remember the acronym? Anybody? Bueller? Bueller? Oh, the futility of preaching. Let me review. Gaps. What does it stand for? Go. To whom do you go? To the person you're in conflict with. You know, because sometimes we're in conflict with person A, and instead we go to persons B, C, D, E, Z, right? Go to the person you're in conflict with. Now, don't do this over every little thing, right? You know, I really can't stand the way you end your sentences with prepositions, and that's something I need to confront you on. I mean, on which I need to confront you, right? Some things need to follow the Fido principle. Forget it and drive on, right? But on the deep things, go. Second, A, admit your part in the conflict. Even if you have done a blame assessment study and you have irrefutable proof, the other person is 100% to blame and you are completely innocent, dig a little deeper. Because I see this all the time in my job. There are, there are rare cases, yes, rare cases where someone really is completely innocent in a conflict. But it's pretty rare, right? Admit your part. And make it real, you know. None of this job interview confession stuff, you know. What's your weakness? Oh, I just work too hard. Oh, far out, right? You know. <laughs> Get real. When I counsel folks in conflict, I'll often ask each person, you know, what's your dog in this hunt? from Eastern Washington, that's how we phrase it there, right? So, what's your dog in this hunt? It's always interesting how folks can describe in great detail the Rottweiler the other person brings while they just have a little chihuahua. (laughs) Admit your part. Next, pray. And I'll talk about that in a minute. And then stay until it's worked out. Now, sometimes you can't do this, either because the person is dead or because, uh, and you haven't killed them. The per- you know, they. <laughs> that wasn't in the notes. Stick to the notes, deadly. All right. <laughs> the person is dead, or because that person just will not engage a conversation with you, right? But you can still do this in your heart. And I'll talk about how in a minute. Seek reconciliation. The second way to break free from anger is to assume goodwill. You know, often we get mad about stuff because we assume something that actually isn't true. In my former church, there was a woman who got really angry at me because she said all I cared about were young people, and and she was a senior citizen. Well, the reason she thought that was because I was a college pastor, so she just assumed it, right? But what she didn't know was the other part of my job was leading the retired men's Bible study, and that I met every week with a man in his 80s so that he could mentor me, and that the heroes in my life are my grandmother. She didn't know any of that. So as a result of her assumption, she'd made made herself all upset and miserable over something that was not true. 
But if we do the opposite and instead assume goodwill, because, you know, most people have some good in them, it just works better. And this is something I learned from one of our pastors, Dana Van Horn. A while back, I made a decision that Dana didn't like. And so she came to me, as Jesus says to do, and she said, you know, I don't get this decision. I don't like it. And, you know, I'm kind of upset about it. And, and I, she wasn't mad, but she was energetic, right? <laughs> For those of you who can't see on the video, she's sitting right here. <laughs> and then she said, but Scott, I know you, and I know your heart, and I know you must have had some good reasons for making this decision. And maybe if you told me some of those reasons, I'd feel better. And I said, thank you, Dana. You know, in all the years I've been here, this is one of the times I feel the most respected and affirmed. Thank you for assuming goodwill. And then I told her the reasons, and she felt better, and I felt respected. And what could have been a conflict that made both of us miserable turned into something that was kind of cool. Right? I learned that from Dana. Assume goodwill. And then last... Finally, third way out of anger, cultivate a new heart. And this is where we go all the way down to the bottom of the iceberg of the sixth command. This is where it gets really deep. Because you see, the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and this is what Jesus is driving at in the Sermon on the Mount. Religious leaders of his day were content just to obey the law on the outside. Haven't murdered anyone, check that box, got that one covered, I'm one for ten. But Jesus didn't come to make us just good on the outside. He didn't come to make us superficial, phony, fakey free, religious free. He came to make us really free, all the way down deep inside, from the inside out. He came to give us a new heart. You know, every so often in baseball, you get one of those bench-clearing fights, you know, where everyone runs out and fights. And, you know, but if you're a Christian, that could be kind of an awkward situation. Well, years ago, a Christian who played for the Mariners, would, when that would happen, he would scan the opposing team whenever a fight broke out, to, and he'd be looking for a friend or a former teammate or someone that he knew was a Christian, and then he'd race toward that person, grab him by the jersey and say, if you don't hurt me, I won't hurt you, and then they would just pretend to fight. <laughs> you know, and they still, you know, they appeared manly, you know, but they didn't do any harm, and you know, that's just what I love about the Mariners. They, they so rarely beat their opponents, right? <laughs> I am a Mariners fan, honest. Now, now I, you know, I applaud the creativity and the solution, but I don't think that's what Jesus means by be reconciled, you know, just pretend. Jesus came to give us a new heart, to replace an angry, bitter heart with a heart of love and peace and joy, because then we are really free, right? And this is possible, guys. Even if you can't have a conversation with someone, you can get a new heart. You know, in this sermon, I've joked about my own failures around the issue of anger. But I can honestly say, over the years, it has gotten a lot better. I mean, when I was in high school, I put a hole in a door once. I was so mad. And over the years, Jesus has mellowed me out. Jesus can give us a new heart. And the best way to get that is through prayer. So let me give you just three quick prayers that you can start praying today to get a new heart. The first is this, Jesus, help me feel your love. Because, you see, Jesus' love is like a rare blood type. It's just not compatible with certain emotions. And his love will dra drive out anger, drive out fear, drive out hurt. So pray, Jesus, help me feel your love. Second prayer, Jesus, be my pain bearer. 
Years ago, I, I found out that some folks had been talking behind my back and saying things that weren't true. It was nothing serious, but it was still kind of hurtful. And I found out about it through a couple of different sources, but didn't know who was saying it, so I couldn't go reconcile. So I was praying about it one day, and suddenly I got this picture in my head of Jesus on the cross. And then I got this thought that I knew was not mine. It was Jesus that said, you know, they lied about me too, Scott. And I saw the ways that those people were going to lie about you when I was on the cross. And I took their sin, and I paid for it. And I felt your pain when I was on the cross. I am your pain bearer. So for you to feel it now is redundant. Which made me kind of smile because he knows me, right? Former English teacher, redundant. Oh, no. I used to give C's for that, right? <laughs> and then this is kind of freaky, but then I got this picture of him putting his hand into my chest, you know, like Indiana Jones, right? And pulling out this black tar, and he said, I've got your pain. It's mine. I just felt way better. The hurt was gone, the anger was gone, and I felt free. Ask Jesus to be your pain bearer. Start praying that. Not just quick prayers, you know, Jesus, help me feel better, amen prayers. But spend time in prayer. Picture him sitting next to you because he is. Use your sanctified imagination to imagine what he might say to you. Picture yourself standing at the foot of the cross with the person you're angry at. Hand him your pain and keep doing it until he begins to heal all of that. And then the third thing to pray in order to get a new heart. Jesus, bless that person that I'm mad at. Make them feel loved. Make, give them good things. Prosper their marriage. Prosper their business. Get real specific in blessings. Pray blessing on them. Because it's really hard to stay mad over time at someone you're pray, for someone you're, you're praying that God would bless them. It's hard to stay mad at that person over a long period of time. And even if you don't feel like it, okay? Even if you don't feel like it, just pray blessings for that person out of sheer obedience. You know, even if it doesn't, even if you have to force it, just do it out of obedience. You know, God bless that person. You know, just do it. I heard a man talk about how once he was unfairly fired from his job. It was not a competency issue. He just had a disagreement with the boss, and the boss fired him. To make matters worse, the boss was a good friend of his. So he lost a friendship in the process. And he was mad as hops because it was unjust. But every morning he would pray, Jesus, put your love in my heart. Help me see my boss the way you see him. And then bless him and list specific ways to bless him. And he said, I didn't want to. I felt nothing but anger and rage. But I did it out of sheer obedience. Every day he prayed that for a year. Every day. As C.S. Lewis says, duty is the cast we put on broken love until it heals. Well, then one day he was at Blockbuster and he turned a corner and there was his ex-boss. And he said at first it was awkward, but they got to talking and he suddenly felt love for this man who had been a friend of his. Well, they got done talking, he walked out in the parking lot and he said, I actually started to do a little dance. I was so happy. So because I realized the anger was gone, the hurt was gone, and instead I felt love, and I was free. Now, should the boss be held accountable for what he did wrong? Absolutely. But it's just someone else needs to do that. God working through someone else needs to do that. And in order for the relationship to be fully restored, the boss would have to admit his part in the conflict, which the boss eventually did, and the relationship was healed. But first came this man's new heart, that he got through prayer. So, who are you mad at? Will you start to pray, Jesus, help me feel your love. 
Jesus, be my pain bearer and bless that person and list some ways for God to bless them. And just keep praying. This man prayed for a year for his boss. And along the way, assume goodwill and seek reconciliation for your own sake so you can get free of the prison of anger. There's a philosophy professor in the Bay Area who's just famous for his temper. And one night at a dinner party, he got into a big argument, and he, he got so angry, he stormed out and slammed the door after him. And one of the guests said, whoa, that was quite an exit. But then the hostess said, oh, don't worry, he'll be back. That's not the front door, it's a closet. <laughs> oh, you get the metaphor. You so get the point, don't you? Anger traps us in a prison of our own making, but Jesus can set us free. And I know some of you have been hurt so deeply. I know. But I have seen people in Rwanda forgive the perpetrators of the genocide who killed their children. And I have seen those killers tearfully confess their crimes. And I've seen healing not just once or twice, but many times through Jesus, and only happens through Jesus, bearing those people's pain and giving them a new heart. And if it can happen there for them, it can happen here for us. And when it does, you're free. I'll close with this. When my grandmother was dying, my father and his siblings took turns sitting by her bedside. And one night, my grandmother's daughter, my, my aunt, was sitting there with her. Now, for years, my grandmother had been unable to talk and had been out of it mentally for years. And my aunt and my grandmother had had a very tense relationship. They'd, they'd both made mistakes. They'd both hurt each other. There'd just been a lot of yelling, a lot of tension for years. But as my grandmother lay dying, my aunt held her hand and began to sing my grandmother's favorite hymns, one right after the other. And my grandmother began to, to uh, close her hand, kind of tap out the rhythm of the hymns as my aunt sang, holding my aunt's hand. And as my aunt sang, my, my, you know, my, my grandmother had been out of it for years, and she squeezed my aunt's hand in rhythm to the hymns, and if the hymn changed, my grandmother would change the rhythm with, with which she squeezed my aunt's hand. And in a way, it was like a forgiveness. It was this moment of healing where my aunt honored my grandmother with her favorite hymns as a way of saying, Mom, in spite of all of our differences, in spite of all the difficulties, I want you to know I love you. And my grandmother, summoning some, somewhere something deep inside of her that had been dormant for years, rallied one last time to communicate to her daughter, I love you too. And she died later that night. But not before that moment where the anger and the hurt began to heal, not completely, but it began to heal. And in that room, there was a moment of freedom and life and hope and peace and even a little bit of joy as my grandmother died. Because there was forgiveness. Jesus said, you have heard the command, do not murder, but I tell you, something way more is possible. For I have come to replace your broken and wounded and hurting heart, and I will give you a new heart, a heart that is filled with love and peace and joy. So will you let me be your pain bearer? Will you do as I ask so that I can set you free? Will you let him set you free? So Holy Spirit, break the chains that bind us. The hurts, the wounds, the anger that we have carried for years, maybe even just become indifferent to other the other person, Jesus, will you break those chains? Will you be our pain bearer? Will you set us free? 
so that we can be everything that you created us to be and we can know the joy that you came to give us. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.